Hi, I'm Russ Camarda, an independent filmmaker and actor in New York. And in between the chances I get to do my creative projects, I love to sit down and talk with other artists to see how it is they do what they do, how they take art and use their craft to reveal truth to an audience. So in this series of conversations, you'll meet some people you may recognize, some people you won't recognize, but they're all independent artists and we'll get in-depth in a long-form conversation to see how it is they do what they do. Welcome to Art Craft Truth. This conversation brings us to Linda Hansen. Linda is another great friend of mine. She's a playwright, an actress, a theater director, um, a theater historian, and, uh, and she's a wonderful conversation to talk about the craft of, of writing uh, and directing for the theater. Um, and again, one of my favorite people in the world. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did with her, Linda Hansen. Just Linda, my friend. <laughs> Linda, my friend. How are you? I'm good. This I'm is so actually, cool. I'm actually on a high. You know the whole the whole pandemic thing. It's been a bit of a roller coaster. So you're on a high. I'm in a at a high energy, and I'm feeling good. Really? And, Why? Um, you're gonna laugh. No. Okay. So I decided I needed a project every day okay. to get me out of my pajamas and off the couch. Right. Right. So. I decided every day I was going to you know, take all the screens from one room, wash the windows inside and out, get rid of all the streaks. And streaks became very important for ah. me during the virus. Nice. So my windows are sparkling clean for the first time in 10 years. So that's but, the secret to... But I got a lot of physical stuff, you know, right. going. You got endorphins going. I got endorphins going. And I'm also, you know, on the elliptical two days a week. And while right. I'm on the elliptical, I'm taking a history of philosophy course oh on video. So feeding the mind and the body. Yeah, at the same and time. I just finished with the Greeks and the Romans are next. The Greeks are tough, I have to tell you. Well, you have always been a student of uh, of so many things, which I want. We're yes. going to get into. That's yes. why you are fascinating. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the secret of life is just clean your windows. Clean your windows and listen to an extremely brilliant man talk about Greek philosophy. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I'll, I can't go there, but we'll, yeah. we'll get as close as we can. Okay. I, I might get Italian. <laughs> well, you're extremely a, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah. I'm so, not going to argue I mean, not you. on Greek philosophy. Far be it from me. To, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so we, you and I have, uh, have known each other since 1993 <laughs> or four. Yeah. We yeah. started, uh, we were actors in the theater together yes. Yes. and we have, uh, we've worked together, um, as actors, we've worked together, collaborating, writing, mm -hmm. um, and you're, you're an actor and a playwright and, uh, and, a, a screenwriter and, uh, and a director of the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're going to start. I, I want this really to be, uh, as I've told everybody, this is a conversation. So right. it's not an interview. It, right. You know, you ask me questions, we'll, we'll talk right. about all our right. stuff, you know. But I want to know a little bit about um, uh, where you started with it. When, when you were a kid, is that what you wanted to do or no? It's always what I wanted to do. Um, but this is tough. Um, it's always what I wanted to do. I can remember sitting, you know, having a little stool and, and the chair in the living room and having a mirror and smoking pretzel sticks and, you know, doing the makeup right. to go, you know, shoot the movie right. kind of thing. Um, yeah. So f from like very young age, I've always been attracted to it. And then um, when the the show thing started almost with PBS. I remember seeing in junior high school a production. It was the original Robards production of the Iceman Comet that they filmed on PBS. How old were you when you watched this? I was in junior high. All right, so four, 13 or 14? Yeah. I guess that's old enough to grasp what well uh, i was i fell Eugenia in love did. with iceman <laughs> okay. at that oh, time. and it was and it was a very young robert redford is playing parent and okay. of course robards was and it was jose quintero directed it for pbs and i actually have the video i bought it so. <laughs> uh, but i i just fell in love with theater and um the other thing that happened in the seventh grade uh, I was a terrible reader. I didn't actually read till the second grade. What? What? I don't know. I just couldn't get it. You I mean, have dyslexia or something like that. No, no. I was put in a very advanced first grade for some ridiculous mm. reason, and all these kids went on to win Westinghouse scholarships, <laughs> and I—they were all reading, and I was way behind. Mm. So I didn't actually learn to read till the second grade, and I was a terrible reader and very slow, and <laughs> I didn't like it because mm. it was hard. 
And when I was in the seventh grade, a friend of mine, actually Michael Wolf's sister-in-law. Our friend Michael Wolf. Huh? Yeah. Uh, said to me, you know what you should do? You should read a play because there's only like 12 lines on a page <laughs> and it goes very fast. She says, we just read this play called The Glass Menagerie. Wow. She said, you should read it. And I went to the library and I got The Glass Menagerie and I fell in love wow. with Tennessee Williams, with the play and with theater. Isn't that amazing how the universe kind of does that? Yeah. This little yeah. sort of setback almost, and it turns you on yeah. to a whole life. So of, uh... I went back and I read everything that Tennessee Williams wrote, much mm. to my mother's consternation. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was considered yes. pretty racy in, you know, in the 19th century. <laughs> the 20th century. Right, yeah. But, it, and then I went through all of Neil's, and I just fell in love with theater. I mean, right. it started with movies. I always loved sure. movies. And then it, it, it progressed to theater. And then I saw my first Broadway show, when I was like 14 or 15. What was it? It was Golden Boy with Sammy Davis Jr. Oh. And I was in love with him. Mm. And much to my father's consternation. Yeah, well, that's a whole other story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I went to see it and then I just fell in love with it. I never had that experience of that kind of energy flowing. Because it was always sure. a screen. Sure, even sure. the, you know, the Iceman, which I love. I, it was the first time I, I got it. Right. Oh my God! There's this energy that flows between. Yeah, and I, I really, when we get into it, I want to expand on that because I think one of the things I hope for this is there's a lot of people who don't understand yeah. what live theater is yeah. and what it feels yeah. like, and yeah. and they're just not used to it now, yeah. especially a whole generation of people who've yeah. never been. So yeah, yeah. So I I think that kind of sealed it for me, and then my mother started taking me, uh, you know, because she knew I loved it, so she kind of and I remember going to see uh, a play called Love by Murray Shiskow. It was like in the ninth or tenth, okay. ninth, ninth grade, and it was originally Alan Arkin and um, and uh, Jackson and Eli Wallach. Okay. But I was seeing a replacement cast, and I'm watching the guy in the Arkin role, which is a crazy, crazy role. The guy's like a total <laughs> nut, and I can't take my eyes off this guy. And I'm like, holy cow, who's this guy? Comic, hysterically funny. About a year later, I'm watching the Johnny Carson show. And out comes this guy, and he says, um, yeah, I'm doing a movie with uh, Mel Brooks called Springtime for Hitler. It was Gene Wilder. <laughs> wow. So I saw Gene Wilder wow. before right. Springtime for Hitler. Right, right. But I remembered him. I remembered his name. I, you know, I just, and then, of course, he popped up in that. Sure. Was, yeah. So, so the theater infects you very early. Yes. Um, uh, when do you do your first, was it, was it in school? Did you ever get to do things in school or, or when did you get to get on stage and try and I, do something? I took a, acting classes in high school. We had a cool oh, class. That's, okay. We had the first class was called dramatic workshop and the next one was called production something. And this guy, Mr. Posner, and he was the cool teacher in, in, <laughs> of in high school, you know, so I took the classes, you know, with right. him and I actually did a, a scene from Love with <laughs> this guy who I wound up dating for a whole year, and because we, we were both interested in the theater. Right. Um, so yeah, so it started with that. I did I did the senior show, but I'm not much of a singer, as you know. So and they were always musicals. <laughs> always musicals. That's same I, thing happened to me. I was in the chorus, and I, I I got myself through it. I wasn't you know very good, but I got myself through it um, because singing was I just. You know, was not, never a great singer. Right. And you went to, was it Queens College? Or? I went to Queens College, right. and that's, <laughs> that's when it really blew up. Okay, there we yeah. go. Now we go. Yeah. So what happens in Queens College? In Queens College, for the first year, I'm doing absolutely nothing. You know, I'm scared, I'm intimidated, it's big, I'm, you know. And this girl whose mother worked with my mother I came in, she was a year behind me. And she came in, so my mother said, oh, you should look out for her. Cause she, so we would have lunch together for a while. And we, uh, she said to me, and she, was in, she loved the theater. Oh, you love the theater? She knew I loved the theater. You, you have to audition. You, no, I don't want to audition. <laughs> you have to audition. You have to audition. No, I don't want to audition. So <laughs> I, go, so I, I decided to go down to this play called Chicken Soup with Barley, the okay. Arnold Wesker trilogy. Arnold Wesker was a British playwright who was came up during the angry young man period, okay. the Osborne mm -hmm. period. It's a terrible play. It's about um, uh, English Jews. I was going to say. In the, in, uh, communist, English right. socialist Jews in the 
you know, in the 1950s. So I go and audition and I, you know, I read fairly well. And the, the director, Henry, who is still my friend, uh, is talking to the stage manager, Gary, who is still my friend. Mm, right. And Gary talks him out of casting me. He says, no, you should cast the other one. I don't think this one. And I went to high school with Gary. He knew me. <laughs> Uh, so I don't get cast and I'm kind of downtrodden. In the meantime, they cast Michael Wolf in a mm -hmm. secondary minor role. Michael Wolf is a friend of ours for yeah, people. For, yeah. I know for Michael for 50 years. Geez. I met him when I was 19. Wow. And this is how I met him. Right. So this other gentleman, Ira, who's also still a friend, was offered this role of these three friends. Mm -hmm. sure. They're minor roles. But he had just graduated from the High School of Performing Arts and wasn't going to take a role that small. <laughs> so Henry said, well, why don't I just cast that girl, Linda, and make it a woman? Uh, she, it it could right. be a woman. So he cast me in this very small role. Mm. So the first time I legitimately walked on a stage in a straight play was with Michael Wolf. And, uh, and when, that was when you got out there in front of that audience for the first, that whole experience, what was that well, like? Well, I used to actually... Literally, when I first started in college, I used to actually tremble. Mm. I mean, if, if I was smoking a cigarette, <laughs> like you know. So, um, I, honestly, it, it, it was hard. It was yeah. very hard. Um, but once I was in it, I was right. I was okay. It was just taking that that first leap or off the edge. Right. And then, kind of, when I got used to leaping off the edge. I, that, it, it, that kind of went away. Right. And when I went back to it after all the years I was out of right. it, that had disappeared. Right. I don't know why. Oh, but just I, by the time you got back to it, you were cool. I just disappeared. I didn't have right. this well, trembling. We're going to skip around a little bit because yeah. because um, I do want to get really into the, the craft of, yeah. of how we do what we do. Um, so so you have a whole life. You have a marriage and children. I, and I graduate and, and I know. put it behind me because so I'm no not going to do it. Nothing. I'm not going to do it professionally. Um, right. And you, it, it, there's a lot of reasons why. You know, technically, I always say I think people like me, who have always done it and non-professionally but really love it. Yeah. I, I think we're missing a chip in our head that says I don't care if I'm homeless. I don't care if I have to eat yeah. ketchup for six months. I don't care. I think you have to have that in yes, the beginning sure. to try and pursue it professionally. I was also fighting very strict Italian parents. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I know people who have overcome that, so I don't want to blame them entirely. No. But that, that, was, that was a hard obstacle. I would have had to want it. Yeah, there's more. a whole lot of other things yeah. that play into it. So I went, that was it, 20 years. I stopped, wow, okay. You know, and then Michael Wolf has always been in my life and mm -hmm. very important. Michael Wolf called and said, I got a, I got a part in a, uh, a community theater production of California Suite. We went to see it, and I, I turned to my husband and I said, I, I have to do this. He's having way too much fun without uh, me. Right. And I started auditioning. That's great. Yeah. And yeah. then we, we met in, um, in a, a small community theater production uh, of, uh, which one was first? Uh, the Pickle Man one? Crossing Delancey. Crossing Delancey, yeah. right, right. Which, I was the shotgun. Right, right, right. Yeah. We did we did that, yeah. and then we did... did I get the two of them confused because they're similar to me in my head. Uh, then we Bo did Jess Bo Jess after. after. So, but, but when I knew you ahead of time, because what happened in when I came in, I came in on Barefoot in the Park. Right. When we were up, you guys were rehearsing. Okay. For... Whatever that was, the, the Christie thing? play. Oh, oh, the, uh, Murder at the Vicarage. Murder at the Vicarage. Right, yeah. And you used to sit on the couch with Carol and Sife and run lines, and I used okay. to take note of you, you know. Right. Um, but I was, you know, in my thing. Sure. You know? So you came in after right. we went out. Right, 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 right. And we uh, we hooked we hit it off right yeah. away as friends and yeah. uh, and yep. and and eventually did a whole bunch of things together. Yeah. We got to do uh, Williams together. We yeah. got to do um, Cat on Hot Tin Roof. Mm -hmm. you were big, I, that big, was big one Mama of my, to my brick. My you know? all time favorite roles ever. That's a great. It was a great. I, it was a great role for me. It, it was really perfect was. for you, and yeah. it was a really uh, fun production. Yeah. And uh, the fun, I, I, the, the terrifying part for me, I don't know if you remember, was. Uh, 
Bill, who was Big Daddy, he never had got just, his lines. Had just well, forget that. <laughs> he, he had just come off of like heart surgery. Yeah. And we weren't sure if he was going to die. Yeah. And he had a whole, it was a three act thing. And that whole second act was me and him yeah. raging at yeah, each, each other. other. And I'm like, please He's God, don't, don't please die. don't die don't on me. Die. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I could think of the whole show. Well, you know, he, he obviously, you know, was okay because every time we were in the dressing room with the kids, mm -hmm. he threatened to kill them if they didn't behave. <laughs> That's so, right. You know, I'm going to kill you, you little son of a bitch. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Those kids were so intimidated. It was, and I was terrified of him on stage. I mean, he would yell at me and I would literally yeah. Oh, he's a jump, big man. He was a big, scary know, guy. And, and he was scary on stage. In fact, I didn't let my daughter, Lizzie was, when was, what year was she? I'm going to say that was 1994. Okay. Five? So she was born in 88. Five, 95. So she was six. Okay. Five, five going on. And I said to Jeff, don't bring her because I think the relationship is too abusive for her to look <laughs> That's at. That's right. You know, so I didn't let her come yeah. to see that. We wouldn't let her go to see Streetcar either. That was not a good one to go see. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was the lesbian nurse. Yeah, that. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, so at what point, um, cause we did a lot of things together yeah. and I saw you do a lot of things, that, but always as an actor. Yes. And then, uh, round about 2000, right after September 11th, around that time, 2001, 2002, um, you had written a play, a full length, a three character play, right? Called Lower Than the Angels. No, first came Laundry. Oh, that's right. The, the one woman yeah. show. Right. Okay. So show. let's go. Let's start with that then. Yeah. So where does where first of all, where's the thought come that I'm going to write number one okay. and two, uh, I'm going to write for the theater. <clears throat> the writing for the theater was very easy because whenever I think of a story, I think of it in dialogue. Okay, I don't yeah, see right. pictures. Right. I don't see prose. Right, right, I right, hear right. two people talking. Gotcha. Okay. So there was no other way for me to write. I, I don't even know how, you know, to write any other way because right. I'm just, I always hear dialogue. The, the impetus to write, um, I think it was always there but never explored. And then one night, two friends of mine, and you know them, Howard and Linda Beckerman. Mm -hmm, yeah. We went out to dinner. We all had kids the same age. Matthew was about 16 at the time. And we, Jeff and I and Linda and, and the other Linda and Howard went to out to eat. And I started riffing on Matthew. I did about mm -hmm. 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> A little stand-up. Yeah. <laughs> Just riffing about, because he was 16. It sure. was, you know. And Howard says to me, you, you have to write this down. I said, what? What? It's nothing. What are you talking about? He says, I'm telling you, you have you have a 10 minute comedy routine here. Mm. I said, you're, you're out of your mind. Mm. I said, I'm not, you know, he called me the next day. He didn't leave me alone. Ah, there's the key. So I said, all right. I said, I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If I can, if I can write 10 minutes worth of stuff, I said, I'll come and I'll show it to you. And if I can't, you'll leave me alone. <laughs> I got 20 minutes worth of material. There you go. I went to his house. He lived in Stony Brook. He is uh, worked for the ESL. He produced right. videos and audios. Sure. So he had a whole soundstage right. set, him, set up. And he always worked overnight at home. So I would come into the house at like 5, 6 o'clock. We would have a quick bite to eat. We would work through the night on the piece. Right. And then I would drive home in the All morning. All right. So I want to stop you here because... All right, so you you write ten minutes turns I, into twenty I worked, minutes. I worked twenty minutes, but you hadn't written anything before. Ever. So the first time pen goes to paper and this stuff is, are, what's the process like then? Because I want to compare it to how things work for you now. Okay. So what the, did you do when you started writing? The process was then. Um, I just I just speak out loud. Start. Like, did you do your routine to yourself, or did you start writing? What did you do? I started like almost recording what I had said at the restaurant. Okay. And it's and I started and then it just started to flow out of me. Right. And I and he said to me, "You have an HBO special, <laughs> you know." So we had the piece. We worked on it. I went home and then I started adding. So mm -hmm. it was one for Matthew. One for me and my father, mm. uh, one about Jeff and I, and then the road not taken, and then the final one about Elizabeth. Right. So it's a it's a one woman show. It's a one woman show about a woman about, of a certain age and a right. certain path in life, and all of her. Right. And the premise is, you know, I wanted to be this bright star and and illuminate and be famous, and I wound up in the basement doing laundry. Right. Was right. basically the premise, which you actually gave me. 
Yeah, I don't. I remember yeah. we worked on it. A yeah, little bit because better. what happened was I think I was calling it what am I doing here or oh, something. Right, right. And we were working on that first routine, and you said to me, you know, you need a prop. You know, you should be folding action. Right. You should be folding, and you said laundry. Right. It was like it was like that's it. Yeah. It's laundry. Right. That's the that's the whole thing. It's laundry. Right. So that's how it became laundry. Oh. Basically, it was right, right. It was you. Yeah. Well, it was. I. I. We. We gave you a, a, a theme to you play gave me off a, of. Yeah. You gave thread, me a, yeah. a thread, uh, which was also a useful prop. Yeah. You right, know, it right. worked. I worked out for that. So the laundry thing, you know, you know, we we tried to you know get it going, and it never really did. Yeah. Right. You know. Um, we put it up a couple of different. We put places. it up a couple of different places. I never got to do the whole thing. I'm too old to do it now, but I would love to see somebody else do it. Right, right. Um, I still think it's. A, I mean, I have to. Oh, it was great. It, it's scripted. It so change it a What I always found about even even that that was your early thing. You have, um, and I'm curious to know if you notice this, if you if you in, encourage it. You have sort of a Neil Simon esque yeah. Yeah. quality to the yeah. the dialogue, yeah. a Woody Allen esque. Yeah. You know that that yeah. whole those guys yeah. that yeah. vibe. You yeah. write that way. Yeah, but that's, yes, because I think that way. Right. I think that's just New York one, kind of New York snappy sensibility. Sen yeah, yeah. Um, the second one came about more interestingly, and looking back at the three things, of the four things I've written now, I, I, though I still love it because I have an affinity for the thematically, mm -hmm. I think it's probably my weakest piece. Which, which is, is lower than, lower the, than the angels, right. I don't think it's terrible. Right. I've, I've seen worse, you know, <laughs> right. but... Uh, and that's because the whole idea of what constitutes a saint, right. what makes a person truly good, how do people judge that, has always been fascinating so let's, to me. So let's just talk about that theme for a second. Uh, the, the plot of the of the play is ba it's basically a three-character play. Yeah. Two priests yeah. and a woman and, a, and the woman's child who's in uh, a vegetative state. state. Uh, is supposedly uh, performing miracles yeah. for the town. Right. The one priest who's the local priest of the town is sort of protecting that woman right. from any scrutiny. And they send, the church sends in a Jesuit priest uh, to scrutinize the whole yes. situation. And of course, all the themes of the physical, the, the divine and all it's, that stuff. To me, the play, the reason I called it lower than the angels is from a quote in the Bible that says th something to the effect though thou art made lower than the angels meaning right. man ha is We're not quite angel next, is yeah. all s spiritual right. animals are all carnal, carnal. man is in between right. and the crux of the piece is if you deny either half of those aspects of your humanity you make yourself sick inside right. so right. if you deny your spirituality right. or if you deny your carnality yes which is the problem for the jesuit he's trying to <laughs> shut down his right. physical yes. self right the other priest who's technically the sinner really has allowed both right. and the woman who's supposed to be the you know the real sinner is the only one who's completely integrated. Right. She, this, right. There's no difference for her between the carnal and the spiritual. Right, right. She's one entity. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the, and that's what when at the time we'll talk about the play and we we did a couple of stage readings of it. Yes, we did. We never actually got a full no, out production on stage, yeah. which would be interesting to see yeah. to try. Um, but when it came time for me to uh, to do a film, yes. I was I was going to take a shot at doing my first feature. Of course, I, I had never written anything, so I wasn't going to sit down and try and come up with uh, an idea and write. So I thought we could adapt that yes. into a, into a and screenplay, we and we did. And that and that process was interesting. Very interesting. What was that like to uh, to take your your stage play? Yeah. as written and turn it into well. A, first of all, what I didn't know how to do at the time which I think I know how to do better after, like, I've written, like, three, and the last one was very sparse on words. Right. We never got to do anything with it, but right. um, I didn't know how to think in pictures. I was still thinking in words, right. basically. So your input was mo more about getting rid of some words and, and making images, right. which was difficult for me. Yes. You know, I don't like giving up words. I don't think writers do, honestly. I don't think I'm different in that respect. No. I think it's hard for a writer to give up a word, words, you know. But screenplays are different. Right. You know, they really are. It's the last one I went into, I really made a conscious effort to go into it thinking of pictures. Right. 
you know, um, and how can I say this with a picture instead of with dialogue? So that was a process that took a while. Uh, But the first one was hard. It was very hard relinquishing it because I had a great affinity for the piece. It was very hard to to say, okay, it's now it's the director's vision. That's, I think, also much harder for a screenwriter than a playwright. I think a playwright has more... Uh, power in the medium Absolutely. in the theater than a screenwriter has in that Absolutely. medium. Five leaps and bounds. Leaps and bounds. So yeah. if you're going to go into screenwriting, you have to understand it's it's the director's vision that you are serving. Serving. Right. If you're a playwright, the director has to kind of serve you right. in the process. Right. So that was hard. That was a very very hard <laughs> thing to but do. But I wasn't too mean. No, no, you weren't me. It wasn't about being right, mean. No, it was about you, yeah. you knowing the process better than me. Right, 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 right. You know, um, so it, it was hard, but there was a couple of things that, that kind of were fun. You made me write a scene for me, which was of course. Which is great. How could you not be in you it? Know? <laughs> so, and that was great. And the whole process of watching what it takes to make a film, right? you know, the exhaustingly tedium of it all yeah. you know yeah how and the idea of how do actors keep that energy right and to, to do it with uh, as we do all the time with no resources yes that's even you know, on the fly you yeah. know i mean i remember one point we were looking for a place to film this one flashback scene that had to take place in an alley and and we were doing something else in a lawyer's office yeah. and, and we you're still pondering where am i going to do this and i turned around and went there's an alley. <laughs> it was like, oh, can we use this? And yeah. we did. Remember, we yeah. went in at night and we were skulking yeah. mm-hmm. around and it was, you know, um, kind of weird, you know. All right. So the actual process of, of adapting something to the screen, um, when you're adding things, because we had to add yeah. backstory and other characters. Right. I mean, it was a three character play. We blew it up into... Yeah. You know, everywhere. Well, anything that's a monologue right. becomes, especially if you if the character is talking about what happened in the right. past, exposition of some ex- kind. It's got to be a flashback into right. something. Right. That much I knew. I realized <laughs> right. we're gonna have people sitting there talking. All so the was time. that fun? That part was fun. The whole part, the back, your backstory with the two old people, right, and the, the, right, right. That was great fun to right. write. That I played uh, one of the the Jesuit in, in the, the Jesuit, film, yeah. and uh, and he had a sort of a sinful backstory. Uh, well, as, he had, as he looked at it, anyway. he was—he just was not caring. He yeah. was a priest who he was completely intellectual. Right. He had no spiritual. But then he had—he had a little physical. He uh, had a physical uh, thing uh, with with, with this woman. woman who was very vulnerable at the time. Yes, and he's terribly guilty about it. Yes. Except that what he did was wonderful for her. He exactly. just couldn't recognize it because he had denied his carnal. Exactly. Yeah, so that, you know, played into it. And I love that scene. It's my favorite scene. Beautiful in, you stuff. Know, yeah. Gorgeous. You really just gorgeous. wrote some great stuff for yeah, that. Thank you. So, um, yeah, that was, that was really, that part of it I liked a lot. Um, it was just, like I said, sometimes giving up the words is hard. So know? to this moment, you still would prefer writing for the stage? Yeah, I think because, uh, you know, I'm more important if I <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. Right. You know, I think that the playwright has more stature than the right. screenwriter. I, it's completely selfish, completely right. selfish. Right, right. But I, I've embraced my selfishness as an actor. And That's an, right. So what you've had, we're going to talk about your directing in a second. So um, you've gotten to do, you've been a writer, you've been a director and you've been an actor um, and you know uh, the disciplines of each of those particular yeah. crafts, what their responsibilities are. Talk about your personal feeling on those different things, how they interact well, with each other. First, I just want to say, just as almost like a footnote, I think every actor, every director, and every writer should at least once do all three. Mm. Yes. And I've said this, after I directed my first piece, I never, ever felt bad about not being cast again as an actor. <laughs> That's right. Because you have no idea how these choices are made sure, sometimes. exactly. So you really want to feel comfortable with yourself as an actor, direct once, and then walk out of the audition happy with what you did. Mm-hmm. You should always satisfy yourself right. and be honest and true. But don't worry about what the director decides because right, right. it has nothing to do with your ability. <laughs> yeah, most of I the mean, time. I mean, sometimes it does. Sometimes, but most you of the know, time there's so many other considerations. But when you're dealing with the 10 to 15% who show up at an audition who are talented... It's very arbitrary. Yeah. It's very arbitrary. 
So now the the, the idea of you said directing. yeah no the three different disciplines, disciplines. that you've been involved in yeah. and how they interact with each other. What are your thoughts on that? What are the things you like about each yeah. and how it's they... a completely separate different toolbox for all three. Absolutely. Okay. The playwriting is the most solitary of of the three. Okay. And why it's the hardest for me to do because I basically sure, part so of what I do yeah you're in a room with a blank screen it's terrifying right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love directing because, and this is, you kind of taught me this. When I first thought about, first of all, you kept saying to me, you should direct, you should direct, mm -hmm. you should direct. And you, you gave me a really, really simple, probably the best advice any director who's starting out could get. And, I, and the problem is most directors working, and my experience, is, is something that's skipped over. You said to me, your job is to tell the story and to get every element of the production connected right, to the story. The story right? It's the Some people call it the spy. It's the story. Right. The lights, the set, the blocking, the individual scenes, right. what the actors are doing. It's all about Even telling the plot. The plot is the not, plot is not <laughs> right. the, It's the story. Right. And the example you've always given is, you know, the Wizard of Oz is a story about a girl who gets hit in the head by a typhoon and has a dream and then wakes up. And the story is there's no place like home. Right. Exactly. So before I start any directing project, I decide what's the story I'm going to tell. It's not necessarily the same for every director. You could be telling a different sure. story. Once I decide what that story is, the other key element, which I don't see very often, is you need to tell the actors what the story right, is. Yeah. Let everybody know what Let page Let everybody we're on. know yeah. what the story is and how, why some, sometimes you're going to tell them to do something because it has to serve the story. Right. This piece of blocking has to, you know. Um, I directed a play called Other Desert Cities, which is a f great piece. And for me, it was about... Um, within this family dynamic about the alliances constantly shifting. So it was two people are here and one person's here and these two people are here. So the way I designed the set and the way I blocked it was that was always shifting. People were always moving from right. one corner to the next, almost like a boxing match right, right. or a tag, tag team wrestling right, kind right, of right. thing. Because to me, that was the story. If I didn't know what the story was, I wouldn't right. know how to do that. The story informs everything yes, you do. Yes, everything. And once you know the theme of it, whether it's film or anything else, you're going to be able to go, okay, yeah. uh, you walk into any situation uh, on a stage or in an empty set that you got you have to dress and right. you go, well, yeah. I need it to do this, right. to do this. So that, so that changes everything it, I thought because... Right. I did, the first thing I did, well, you let me help on The Odd Couple. You let me do a little That's bit right. on that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the first play I did after that... I forgot I did that yeah, show. Yeah, was a play called The Real Inspector Hound, which is <laughs> a Tom Stoppard, very absurd kind of piece. But for me, it was a piece about what is illusion and what is reality and how in theater do those lines get blurred so if that's the story i'm telling there's two critics who are supposed to be watching this play that's the plot right but for me i put the critics not only did i put them on the stage which most people do it's kind of in the directions but what i did was in order to bust this one character through the two worlds while I was giving the house speech, I had the one critic who was Michael Wolf bust in the entrance like he was late right, and come right. in and come on stage and my getting all <laughs> flustered that this guy was busting in. Right. And for a while, the audience was very... Uh, unnerved. Unnerved. They yeah. didn't know what the hell was going on, but that's exactly what the point was. Right, right. So every every set piece serves, yeah. serves that theme. Yeah. Um, uh, so... And the acting yeah, is acting the other is, thing. Yeah, right. um, I, you know, again, it, sometimes it's so simple, it's, it becomes very elusive. Right. And I, you know, I, again, I got this from the acting classes you taught. And I, people are getting the impression that you taught me everything I know. That's okay. You can believe that I, you can believe I taught them all everything. Yeah. Um, you know, what do I want? How do I get it? Yeah. What do I want? How do I get it? This isn't working. Let me try something else. What do I want? And when I direct that and I see an act of floundering, this is exactly what I say. What do you want? How are you getting it? What do you want? How are you getting it? Right. And it's really that, you know, they, they call it acting right for a reason. It's an 
It's a physical it, action. Yeah, it's it's an not action. the intellectual part was done by the writer. Yeah, and the, that's you that's just take done. care of the right. business that yeah. you got to take care of. I will say as a director to actors all the time, and excuse me, you can edit this out. Well, you, you know, just keep it in. I do not give a fuck about the words. Right. The writer wrote them. You have to memorize them. I'm the director. I care about what's going on underneath that. Right. Right. You know. So do you what what uh, you enjoy all these things? I right? love all of them. Uh, what turns you on? The what, if you had to. You have to say, Ooh. what's the fun? What you know? Come on, live performance. Yeah, that's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. <laughs> it, yeah, and the directing comes close. The yeah. directing comes really close, especially if you're sitting in the audience and you're feeling that they're getting it. Sure, sure. You know, I love the writing because it, it it's just such a you know intellectual release, and right. you could get your feelings and thoughts in the mouths of other. What is that? Talk talk about what that's like because I don't think writers often really get into that part of it. I've had that experience now that I've written things, but there is a something that happens where you you wrote it, and again, you know my feeling on this is it came from somewhere else anyway, but you still have this relationship with it till it gets out onto the page, and now some other human being says it. And it comes out a totally different way, oh. but it's truthful and it's brilliant. It, and if, you're it's, like, if it's truthful and it's... Br- I, well, we let's, had, let's assume it's truthful. Yeah, we had this thing when we were we were doing a read for Lower Than the Angels. Yes, right. And I had this one line, and I knew the line was right, but it just never sounded right in my head. Mm. You know, it just never sounded right. It sounded phony. It sounded trite. And you got up to do the read... And you spot, and I was like, "Yeah, that's the way that I never heard it that way in my head." That's interesting. Yeah. So you, in your head, writing it, were like, "I don't know about this line." But I knew it was right. <laughs> right. As far as, but it didn't sound right in my head. Gotcha. And when you said it, that's I never heard it that way in my head. So what is that? What's actor, happening there? When, well, that was thrilling. But what is what is what do you think is happening there when that? other human just takes some i think that's the essence of what artists do yeah is that something comes from somewhere else we sort of channel it through this little prism and share it with other human beings yeah. in a way that they can see that mirror yeah. and reflect on it but that's magic isn't it it is magic it, it's uh, and here's the thing about it i don't speak for all playwrights and i'm not saying they not all of them would do this, but I'm sure there is there are writers who would block that magic sure. by deciding that it has to only be said one way. David Mamet. Yes. Well, but Ma- and Mamet is well, brilliant, I'm but busting his but over. you know, but the thing is, it, you have to allow that. You yeah. even as a playwright, and I, like I said, they have more power, but a playwright still has to give it up. Yes. You know, you you know. Nobody owns a piece of theater. No. You know, the playwright owns it for a while. I tell this to my actors all the time. Right. And you, you said this. Then the director and the actors take it for a while and they right. take it to us. And then it becomes about the audience and the actor. And yeah. they take it where yeah. it's going to. So you have to allow that to happen. Right. If you don't want that collaboration, if you don't want anybody to touch your art, then become a painter or a sculptor. Or a novelist, or, or and a novelist, in a bo- or and don't sell your novel. Yeah, to the right. Movies. No, read it to yourself. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> and a po- or write a poem. But right. even that, right. the person reading the poem is going to make a decision once, as to what. It's... Once you introduce the whole yes. point is, if you're going to share the art, yes, it's there's an audience that's receiving yes. it, and yes. they will, you know, uh, ingest it yes. and, and turn. It I mean, into I look at the Pietà as a Catholic and see something completely different from somebody who. Right comes from a different background. Right. Now, is a universality to the Pieta, mm. certainly, about a mother and the ultimate pain of seeing sure. a child die. And it's the fact that he did it in stone is just <laughs> right. amazing. It, but everybody's going to take away a different experience from looking at that. Sure. And, exactly. you know, he left it there for that reason. Okay, now everybody look at it and decide what you're getting right. from it. And that's the ultimate. Right. Are there, uh, we, we talked about Williams and, and O'Neill and some of your early things that you love. Are there special uh, writers uh, that, either playwrights or any writers, that you have read and, and, and enjoyed that, that are your go-to? Like, this is, I love this guy's stuff, I love this woman's stuff, but 
this lights my fire more than anything else. Who is it? Okay. So I would have to say, and although I, I, I haven't read a whole lot of fiction lately, I'm very heavy into historical biographies right now, <laughs> but um, I read John Steinbeck's East of Eden four times. Four times? Yeah. Okay. I love John Steinbeck. Steinbeck. I, I really do. Interesting. Um, Why? Well, you know, it, it, there's an, a real earthiness to everything. This is a theme that comes up for you a lot in your yeah. stuff. Is this carnality of this, the, this, in touch with an, that? In earthiness. I mean, when he talks about the Salinas Valley in California, mm. and that you know you could almost feel the dirt, and and <laughs> you know, and of course in East of Eden you're dealing in the book you're dealing in four with four generations, mm. and the, this constant playing through of the. Uh, Cain and Abel mm. sibling rivalry uh, myth, and there's this unbelievably fascinating character of Kathy, who's you know a real sociopath and a mm. woman, which right, yeah. kind of makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> um, very powerful woman, written very powerfully. Um, so yeah, I I I do really love Steinbeck. I have okay. to say. Um, do you find? I mean, other than the earthiness, is that, does any of this stuff flow into your sensibility when you act, work, write? Like, or are you just a fan of that? Yeah, it's not I, a style I'm not you... really conscious of that happening. Right. I mean, I think it does. I think everything, I, I think everything, an artist, right. be able to be an actor, everything they experience artistically is somehow yeah. infusing right. their, you know, what they do. Um so Steinbeck, yeah, I, I think the familial thing and how, you know, especially in East of Eden, how, you know, the dynamic of the family. Right. Yeah, I think that's always, right. if and I'm that, playing a family situation, I'm very conscious right, of what the right. dynamic is. And I know you were a big fan of uh, Long Day's Journey for that kind Love of, Long you Day's know, all right. the yeah. O'Neill stuff where it's that yeah. deep dysfunction but you know what it's funny with me and o'neill and people look at me like i'm crazy i i don't get depressed from O'Neill. <laughs> i don't i find it very cathartic mm. long days when i'm re when i'm really 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 depressed i read long i read I, the iceman cometh and it makes me feel better wow yeah i know it's weird that is weird yeah pipe dreams <laughs> yeah, yeah, on the on the face of it, right. but for me, and again, I'm I'm sure there are scholars who would argue. For me, it's the idea that what what I come away with it is that the absence of hope is the prob is the right. problem. Right, right. You know, I mean, those guys. We look at them, and they look. You know, like the, the the very dregs of society, but they're fine until he takes away their hope. Right, right. They're fine. I mean, tomorrow's going to be better. Right. You know, do we all have? Yeah, we do. Of course. Can we live without hope? I don't know that we can. No. I think if this thing taught us anything. This pandemic, yeah, sure. Yeah. Are there themes that uh, that you want to explore? Now we'll talk about a little bit before we wrap up about how you what you're doing now and and things you're writing now, things you want to do. But are there themes that you find yourself coming back to, uh, or things you want to talk about that you haven't, or, or things like that, stories you want to tell, yeah. theme wise, I, thematically, theme wise, um... like there's like the absence of hope, or there's no place like home, or the carnal and the and the divine and all those yeah, themes we talked about. Yeah, that's that's and um, what happens to me, and I'm I guess this is because it, I'm maybe I haven't done it enough for it to be that, you know, in my forebrain. It I know this sounds crazy, but I it, after I'm writing for a while, it's almost like I'm just taking down dictation. It's crazy. It's almost like two people are talking and I'm, I mean, I've written things where I'll go, who said that? You know, <laughs> it's like, I'm not, it's not even coming out right. of me. It is, of course. But so thematically, I think what happens unconsciously, because I'm thinking to other people, thematically, these things just start popping up. Sure. So... Do you think it's stuff lot. that's in your orbit in your yeah. life? Yeah, I think kind of I, you know, in, a, you know, a couple of things that have come up a lot are the idea of um, marital communication and miscommunication. Okay, 
and or communication between a man and a woman. Right. Miscommunication, missed opportunities, miss. You know, mm -hmm. if only I had known this. If only you had told me that. If only mm -hmm. I knew how you felt. You know, I think that's right. recurs. Yes. I think it's in Lower Than the Angels sure to some is. degree. I, I absolutely is. You know, it's definitely in Trinity, which is about a woman who's just been recently widowed, and right. there are three men in her life, right. one of whom is dead, who shows up. <laughs> Um, and it's it's definitely in um, 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 well Trin uh, Trinity, and it's definitely in this this new piece, especially in the first smallest one. So, what's the new piece? These are one act plays that you were. These this is started with a very short ten eight page piece that I was working on a play um, with an, an, a Long Island actress, mm. Sherry Mandry, and she's been pestering me to go back to writing since mm. she's seen some of the stuff we did reading. Sure, on. sure. When are you going to write again? When are you going to write? And just to kind of get rid of her, I said, are, she said, write something short because there were a lot of these This festivals. is another theme in your life, by the way. You, you pretty much don't do anything until somebody just beats yeah. you down, just yeah. Yeah. threatens I, you. I always said I'd be like, I would have been a great newspaper reporter because I work great under deadlines. <laughs> right. you know? uh, but give me an open period of time and yeah. nothing happens. So I, just to get her off my back, I said, all right, all right. So... We thought about doing it in the city and festivals, and I know they don't provide anything for you. And I wasn't about to start lugging a whole bunch of stuff into Manhattan. Mm. So I said, okay, what can I do? Every theater has to have a couple of chairs or a bench. Right. Okay, so I'm going to put two people on a bench or two chairs. What, what am I going to do with these people? So I decided, all right, I'm going to put them in a museum, and the picture's going to be in the audience. They're going to be so looking, they're looking at, the, at the audience. Right picture we can't see it you can't see it but they're the looking, at a, piece they're of looking art. at a picture and through that art the, their relationships they're... are explored and discovered right. for me the piece has now become about the connectivity of art right how art connects us right how important it is especially in these days that we continue everybody to make art because it may be the only way left we have to begin to reconnect. Right. There's too much noise. There's too much yelling. There's too much anger. But if two people are looking at a painting, right. they can put that all behind them. It's a great premise because you have your two actors looking at something the audience can't see. Right. They're describing it. They're, t they're never telling you what it is. Never. And their whole relationship is reflected in this artist's right. work, whatever. And, and, and in the end, I think you use well, in the actual end, art, artists, right? Well, actual, they're, all, pa real they're all real paintings. I'm looking at the painting as I'm writing the script. I got you. Okay. So we never see it. You never see it. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it as the different characters are seeing it. And then at the end, that picture's going to get flashed on the background. Right, right, right. So right. everybody gets to see it. And then the audience now connects to whatever right. they connect. That's a brilliant premise. Yeah. So the first two people are a husband and wife who have, you know, been estranged and then have come to terms with each other. Um, I'm not going to say yeah. more because no, it's kind it. of a twist. The second piece, um, which is called um, Rubenesque, I have a painting <laughs> during for that era. Right three in fact it took me a while to find i mean i couldn't even find a rubens or a titian that with a woman fat enough believe right, it or not right, right. i know fat is not politically correct you can use but fat i can use that and it's about a plus-size woman right um who meets the gentleman from the first play the older man and they're discussing this painting, this painting right the third piece chiaroscuro is, right chiaroscuro yeah is about the woman from the first piece who's just beginning to uh, feel the effects of Alzheimer's. Okay. And she uh, has a, a, a scene with the guard. Who's, right, you right, know, right. And that is, that painting is um, uh, a Rembrandt. Okay. The Parable of the Rich Man. Right. Then the... I've started the second act. I actually have a second act, oh, okay. which is going to be the two younger characters. Right, right, right. You know, um, and that's a still life that I'm using mm. a still life for a particular reason. And the last piece is going to be all four of them. And um, it's the only really most famous painting in 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 the whole play because I deliberately used paintings that, that weren't necessarily famous. The last piece is going to be the potato eaters by okay. Van Gogh. All right. Yeah. 
It's a. I, I yeah. love the idea. It's yeah. A, it's because it, I love sparse theater. Yes, and because, this is sparse, be, particularly because you know? I'm just lazy as yeah. fuck. So it. You well, know, that's I, what, how I thought. No set. Of, right. With, a light bulb, and I'm. How good. do I do this? Where I don't have to log or get a U-Haul to go into right. Manhattan? Because I know these places. These festivals, they don't give you anything. Right. Right. And it was going to be eight minutes. So I said, right. "All right, but two people on a chair. Well, what?" Right, right, right. are they doing well they're looking at a piece of art and then it just everything exploded right. when i said that to myself yeah and i'm just thrilled with this one i oh, really am great. so right before we finish i just want to get into one last thing i didn't ask which was you said they dictate to you right yeah uh, is there a time of day like how do you physically do like if, for people who who are writers or want to be writers is there it's a very personal thing. So is there a room? Very is there personal. A... Well, I, I do it in the, at the computer in the den. Okay, so you have a little it, spot that's yours. I try and do it when Jeff's not in the den watching <laughs> detective shows about husbands who murdered their wives. <laughs> She's always watching for some reason. <laughs> that's not, so oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on film now. If I show up yes, dead... we're digging up the yard. Please, just... <laughs> It's him. Okay. okay. All right. Don't make, he, don't don't take any excuses. But so I try and do it when he's not in the, in the room. I even sometimes when he's quiet and he's just reading, I, I something about somebody being in the room so while I'm doing this. It's a solitary. This. It's a solitary thing for me. So I try and do it when he's not in, and it's very sporadic. I am not disciplined. So you, you, you know. the screen comes up, fade in or or curtain up. And a couple and, of words come out. You get up, walk around. No, like, no, I, mean, I just, I, it go, you it, just keep going. It, it keeps going. The stream of consciousness. And, and the thing? first thing I'll do is just, I'll say, oh, what is the person going to say? And I'll just go, well, let him say anything. It doesn't matter. Just say something. And I'll go, hi. Well, how are you? Well, I mean, it's just that right. stupid in the That's beginning. A, just to get you the just, action. It's just, of... just me getting. And then it comes to a point where I just, you know, stop and I go away and about. The next morning, and I, I'm happy. And then the morning, next morning, I get up and go, what? that was the worst shit I, I, anybody's ever written. What? The, I just wasted to, so I let it sit for a few days. Right, right. And then I go back, you know, it's not that bad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as awful as so I it's, thought. So it's like you're, you're having this relationship yeah. with the creation of yourself. Yes, yeah. And yeah. you're getting along yeah. with each other. Yeah. What I want to get into a little bit. To, to finish up is because you are a director and because you uh, part of what I've discovered uh, directing is uh, and it's not always this way but sometimes there's some teaching element that you bring to it and there, there's some uh, mentoring element that you know you, you're yeah. it's it's people management and you're, yeah. tr you're constantly managing personalities and all that stuff so as a as an actor as a director as a as a writer uh, as an artist you know, for that person out in the audience who might be listening, who is starting off on that journey, mm -hmm. or maybe is in one discipline and is going to go to another one of those disciplines, what's your advice, sort of a general artistic mentoring advice uh, to, to the, the performing artist, either the writer, the actor, yeah. you know, like what should they pay attention to always? I, I think, I think in all three, across the board, there's some very, a few little specifics, but across the board, I think as an actor, if you have a really strong sense of, of what the story is when you go in to do a piece and how you fit into it, I think you'll, you'll, you'll very easily slip into the directing idea because you'll just have the broader view of the story, not right. just from one character's idea, but from the whole. And as a writer, you know, I've seen a lot of pieces, you know, a lot of people are doing a lot of Zoom things, and I've, <laughs> I've seen, and I, uh, you know, I, I don't watch a lot of it because Zoom doesn't do it for me, right. uh, you know, but what I see a lack of, even in writers, is wh wh what's the story? What are you, what are you trying to say? And, you know, what's, in, what do you, what, what's the story? There's no story. Right. There's a plot. There's a bunch of people right. talking, but it doesn't seem to be right. headed anywhere. So for me, if you have a clear sense of story in either of the three disciplines, mm -hmm. there are some specific minutiae that you're going to have to wane your way through. But if you have that going in as a foundation, you will be able to make the smoothest transition right. from one to the next. Now, as a director, what you have to understand is if you've been acting, 
you know, and of course, in a, as a director, you may have certain things in your head of how you would do it. As a, You have to let go of that. You have to let the actor be the actor. So the impulse to say, no, 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 you're not doing it exact. No, let them do it the way they see it. Unless right. it. Unless it takes it off the story. Sto- off the story. That's the only that's barometer. That's the only barometer. Right. You have, that's a muscle you have to learn to do. Right. You have to learn as a director, as you said many years ago, you know, you, you have to learn. It's an art of how to hit every actor. Yeah, right. Some actors like playing, you have like to playing billiards. Yeah, some yeah. actors you have to hit through another actor. Some actors you can hit straight on. You always used to say paints and crayons. You mm. don't use blue the way you use red. You don't use pastels the way you mm, use oil. Right. And you have to determine what every actor is and how to hit them. Right. As a director, you know the writer again. As long as your story is being served, once the directors and the actors get a hold of it, or once the director in a movie gets a hold of it. You have to be able to let go of it, except if the story isn't being served. Right. That would be the only time. You can go home and scream and yell and say, <laughs> I can't stand this. I don't like what he's doing. You can do all of that. Right. But as long as the story is being served, your the art is being preserved. Right. So you can make that transition as long, for me, I think, I made the transition because I always had a clear sense of right. that. There's a great, it's such an, a really cool theme that's emerging now uh, in a lot of these conversations. And I, I love it because it's, it's where I come from deep down is this idea of letting go. Yeah. That life in general is all about letting go. Yeah. It's just, it's, you don't have a choice. The more you hang on to it, the worse it's going to be. And I think, <laughs> I, I, I actually think, and this is a reason why I think, and you know, I, I don't want to get onto any kind of political or feminist bent, but I honestly think that's why, you know, we need to see more women in this. And, and I think being a mother sure. of adult children, if you, you know, I mean, that's the, that's the letting yeah, go. Absolutely. Everything else after that is pretty easy. Right. I mean, there comes a point when you're raising kids, no matter what they're doing, you have to say, oh, this is like the worst thing they could do. But you know what? They're grown up. They have to make their own mistakes right and it's hard it's very very hard but if you can do that you know you, you can, can do it to your you, show you, if you <laughs> can do it to your show and and i think it's the same thing for you know parents in general it's a it's a letting go but even everybody has to let go everybody has to let go of parents eventually sure, absolutely you know i mean letting go is a part of life and here's the thing and i i spoke to uh my buddy Vinny on a podcast about this I've, I've spoken about this and it's come up now and i have to address it because it's come out three times there is the the, the other side of that part of it is there is a real gift yeah. that comes back to you yes. when you do that yeah. it's not just some sort of sacrifice and oh, no. i have to learn how to accept and let go and let my no Understand that when you do it, you get back something of value that you never would have achieved if you'd tried to hang on, you know? Yeah, no, because especially in this art, which is so collaborative, you know, if you don't let go... It's it's not really good theater. It's not a good movie. It's not a good you know. It's not a good play. It's not a the good. The audience production. resents you. And the audience resents you. If you do the that, the thing that b- bothers me most is when I see you know a a, dir- a director or somebody get on stage before the show begins and tells me what the play is about. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I paid it. my money. <laughs> I get to decide what it's about. Right. If you buy my ticket, maybe. But and it it just annoys me because first of all, I think. It's insulting yeah. that you don't think I can make the right decision. And second of all, so who are you to tell me what it's about? Right. You don't own it any more than anybody else does. That's right. Once it's there's an audience in that theater, they own it as much as, as anybody else. It's a circle, and right. they complete the circle. And finally, um, live theater, what's that? T- tell Because when we get out of this, yeah. when we get out of this mess... Yeah. Especially where we are in New York yeah. and, and on Long Island here in particular, there'll be places opening back up. Hopefully audiences, you know, in four or five, six months, yep. I don't know, will we'll have a, a sense of normalcy yeah. again. For those people who don't understand what live theater is, or they think of it only as the Lion King on Broadway or something, yeah. but have never seen, you know, Long Day's Journey or whatever, the, the energy of that... Yeah. Give us a primer. What is that, for that audience who doesn't understand it, what is live theater as compared to... to 
to the films it, or whatever. It, it, again, it's it's very hard to define unless you you've sat there for the first time. And I my my point is, if you've never done it and you're seventy, do it now <laughs> because what you get is 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 going to change your life. Mm. Um, it, there is an exchange of of energy right. that when you walk out, if it's good, if it's honest, if it's true, and again, there's a lot that isn't. That's fine. You know, there's a lot. But on those occasions when it happens that way, and it's honest and it's true, you will walk out of that theater, and you will be different. You will have changed. Your your molecules will have, will be bouncing off each other in a different way right. because the energy that's taken in has changed the way right. those molecules start bouncing off it's, each and other it's in the same room with those people having that experience. Yes, and that's why it's we have to keep it because there's no other experience that does that. We are you know we have twelve screens. Everybody's <laughs> you know twelve screens are competing for everybody's attention, but there's always a screen between you and and. This is the only place where that, that doesn't happen. The energy is flowing freely, right, right. and it's there. And I can remember on those great productions like Long Day's Journey with Vanessa Redgrave and um, Dennehy and um, Sean Leonard and... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? The kid who died. The, yeah. yeah. There was a point I remember watching that, and it was four and a half hours, and the thing flew. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour yeah, right. Hoffman. There was a point, and it was a Tuesday night we went to, so you were had really rabid theater goers and on Tuesday night. There was a point I can remember almost wanting to put my head down and not look because it was so personal, it was so real, and it was so honest that I felt like I was eavesdropping. Wow. That's, that's when it's the best. Yeah. That's when humans are, yeah. and then we need that. We yeah. need that for our soul. And we need it. On the on an emotional level, yeah. we need to feel that pain, that joy, that you know. We need to learn. I learned about what it was like for a black family to experience segregation when I went to see the movie *Raisin in the Sun*. <laughs> because I never understood that. I lived in a blue-collar white neighborhood. Right. I didn't understand what the hell was going on. That black people weren't allowed to buy right, right. I went to see that movie my whole my whole perspective changed right. I suddenly saw people in a completely different way that's the power of a theater right that's, you know? that's it and, and that's what we have to keep doing so yes. uh, so you keep writing I will uh, at some point I'll get back and do something else yes. and we'll get together and, 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 would, and keep putting art out there I would love to and uh, I'm definitely going to have you. We have so much more to stuff. You'll be another guest on. You'll be a regular oh, on here. We'll I would come, love we'll to. Back again. I would love to. So this was a blast. This Linda. was great. I love this. Thank you so much. Honey. Anybody who lets me talk for two hours. <laughs> All right. Or an hour. Whatever, whatever we do. <laughs> yeah. It great. flew by. And we Thank can do it again. Thank you so much. I appreciate everything. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you.